Galatians 6, 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who of are the household of faith. Thank you so much for reading, Melody. Many of you know, uh, if you've come to church for a while, I grew up on a military installation, so I'm a proud Air Force brat. And for me, that meant in the summers especially, I was outdoors all the time. And particularly, I had a really good friend named Lewis, and we would basically wake up in the morning and be out all day long. And I can remember a good bit of those things. What I also remember about Lewis is uh, he was extremely competitive. And I remember that because I was, and maybe still am, extremely competitive. And so summer amounted to just one-on-one game after another. So at times we'd be playing tennis and we would you know, go after it there and then we would find a way to a basketball court and it would be one-on-one basketball playing 21. And then, I don't know, somehow everything became a competition, whether it be, you know, riding bikes or riding down a road and we're, you know, who's going faster or running or even when we would uh, somehow slip into the officer's club pool, we would do belly flop, have a belly flop contest. So just, you know, smart things you do as a kid. I remember just it always being one-on-one competitive. You know the sport we never played though? That's football. Because unless it's some imaginary game, like you cannot do football with a team of one. It just doesn't work that way. For that to work, it would have to like totally change the shape of the game and the goals and what you're doing. I thought about that particularly because the, the fact of following Jesus also doesn't take its full shape as just you. It actually involves more than you. You need others. I'm, I'm positive, you know, your personal relationship with Jesus matters, but your personal relationship with Jesus is never private, and it is meant. I mean, Jesus fully intended for his relationship with you to be lived out with others, but that brings its challenges, doesn't it? That means for you to live out your relationship with Jesus, other people are involved. And what we know about other people is other people are obnoxious. What we know about other people is that they're selfish. And they're also humble. 
and they're kind. And other people are needy and they're foolish and they're generous and they're wise. And other people are steady and easygoing. And other people are moody and really difficult. Yeah, that's not just the other people. And it's no need to pretend that isn't the case. Those things describe us. Those things describe me. I feel like in a given hour, I can be all those things. Just ask my family, right? I find that toward the end of Galatians, so even if you're joining us this Sunday, if we've been walking through the book of Galatians over the summer. We're getting near the end. Obviously, we're in the last chapter. And as we walk through Galatians, we've, we've seen Paul address a lot of things, but now he is zeroing in on a community, a community of believers. So there's been a doctrinal foundation that's been laid about what the law means and what it means to be in grace. And all those things have been laid, but now it's zeroing in on, okay, what does a community of followers of Jesus look like? Which actually pushes us to ask a question, what, what do I think it should look like? What are my expectations for a church, for a church family? And are my expectations, are they shaped by God's Word, or are they more shaped by how the world makes products and experiences in a consumer culture? I mean, what is shaping how I think church should be? How do I choose to interact with other people? Is church, is church, is it about, is it about giving? Or is it primarily, no, I come to get. Is church meant to go deep in relationships, or is it pretty much, no, I keep them all on the surface because I don't really want to show people too much of who I am. Is church designed for me to get uncomfortable or only designed for me to be and feel pretty comfortable and maximize that comfort I feel? What is the community of believers meant to be? Is it meant to be demanding or is it meant to be easy? Is it meant to grow and stretch me or is it really just kind of about leaving me the same, confirming me where I am and what I've always thought? What is the church designed for? Is it designed for vulnerability or is it designed for you to add layer upon layer of self-protection? If you were here last week, we or had a chance to listen to the message, we were digging in Galatians 5. And in that Galatians 5, Paul lists, and there are really two lists, and they could not look more different. I mean, one list is the works of the flesh, and there are several things that basically look like this is what you look like when, and this is what I look like when my impulses and my urges and my values and my assumptions are just left unrestrained. That's the flesh, and here are the works of the flesh in Galatians 5. But counter to that, contrary, very different from that, are the fruit of the Spirit when God's work goes deep in our lives. These are the kinds of things that get produced. And it's one thing to hear love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. It's one thing to hear those as qualities, but actually, I love what Paul does in chapter 6, because in chapter 6, he takes all those qualities and says, this is what it's going to look like. In action, this is the behaviors, this is what's going to take shape over time in lives like ours on, on a, a Monday or a Wednesday or a week from now or a month from now or a year from now. A community of grace, here is what it's going to look like. And 
The passage actually we're going to take shape in so many different ways. Melody read the first 10 verses, and I actually see those verses kind of going back and forth, and others have pointed this out as well. But I think the passage on one hand is going to push in a couple different directions, all right? On one hand, it's going to tell us we need to grow in taking responsibility for each other. So kind of mark that word, especially that word responsibility. I think this passage is going to push us in that. We need to grow in taking responsibility for each other. But at the same time, there's going to be another push, and that is that we ought to grow in recognizing our accountability before God. So yes, taking responsibility for others, and yes, in growing in our recognizing that accountability we have before God. So responsibility and accountability, that's where we're going to like dig deep today. Responsibility and accountability, and these verses go back and forth on that. Responsibility means you're in if we're trying to break it down to where a kid understands it, it, it's that, okay, you're in charge of something and you are expected to do something. Like you're supposed to do something. You are responsible. And Galatians 6 is going to remind you that God has put people in your life and God has put people in my life to love, to notice, to care, to move toward. I have a responsibility. There are expectations. There are things I'm supposed to do. That's responsibility and accountability is, I realize I will give an account before God. I will explain and justify without excuse. I recognize there are consequences in the accounting. It's what it means to be accountable. So the responsibility and accountability, focusing on others and focusing on ourselves. How do those come together? Galatians 6.1 starts us off actually with the responsibility. And that responsibility is this. The question, let's frame it this way. What is my responsibility toward a brother or sister that has been overtaken or another word is caught in a transgression? What is my responsibility? What is your responsibility toward a brother or a sister that has been caught up, has been overtaken in a transgression? That's what the verse 1 mentions, and, and this is the responsibility. It is to work toward restoration. Look at verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, and here's the responsibility that we have, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. I want you to know so many things going on there, and probably any one of these verses we could spend a while on, but we'll move through them actually pretty quickly. There is an expectation here. Brothers, if someone is caught, it, it's not as if we should think, this probably will never happen. Actually, the, the more realistic view is like, that will happen to all of us. We will be overtaken. And I think the word there is helpful. In some ways, it's like we're caught by surprise. We did not see it coming. Some things like, let's face it, we know it's coming and we choose to rebel. This is different from that. It is like we are overtaken. We're caught. We didn't anticipate. And all of a sudden, we find ourselves almost like we're trapped. What happens when a brother or a sister is caught by surprise? Well, we recognize there's a family context. So it's brothers is the first word of Galatians 6. It's not to the exclusion of sisters. It's to recognize family. It's family terminology here. So family, recognize if one of you should go down, there's a responsibility we have to work toward restoration. It doesn't even matter. Did you notice it's not even covered like... If someone is overtaken in this particular thing, it's really bad and you better, like it doesn't even discriminate on like what's 
overtaken this person. Doesn't even like give a long history of how they got there. Says the impulse that we should have responsibly is to lean into it. Says you who are spiritual, which don't for a moment think like, oh, he's differentiating because like there's the spiritual people in the congregation, then there's the rest of us. Actually, what he's saying is you who have the spirit, which is all the believers. Jesus has given his spirit to all the believers. You who are spiritual, you who have the spirit of gentleness, the fruit of the spirit is gentleness. You who have that, you who have the fruit of the spirit of patience, like you move toward this situation. It's hazardous duty because actually, if I'm just going on what my flesh is like leading me to do in a situation where I'm seeing someone overtaken and fault, my flesh will actually lead me to one, either like, I don't care, that's their problem. Let them work it out. It's not my, not my responsibility. But notice how this presses and says, wait a minute. Or a, a tendency in my flesh will be to be, instead of gentle, it will be to, to be harsh. Like, ah, what's their problem? In a spirit of gentleness. The fact is, like, can we just all admit, it is not easy to do any of this. Churches like we, like I'm not just saying churches out there, it is hard to do this. It is going into like a, a war zone at times. It is not easy. It doesn't always end well, but that doesn't really say, well, because it's not going to end well, I don't even, I'm not even going to mess with it. This is convicting to me because it's pushing me to go, you have a responsibility to aim to restore. I love the word restore. It's used in another place to say when the disciples were, who were fishermen came and brought their nets back They had to restore those nets. They had to mend those nets because the nets got broken and they had to work an act of restoration. It's mending the net. It's setting something straight, getting it back in in order. Like that's the goal, to, to get things back on track, to put things back together. They've fallen apart. And that's exactly what I want if my life is just unraveling. I may not even say I want it, but deep down, that's what we all want when it's unraveling. We want someone to come alongside and, and help us because we're maybe blinded or we just didn't see it coming. We don't see the way of escape and we need help. Our responsibility towards someone overtaken in a transgression. And yet, yet I also see Paul knew our human nature. Somehow we are tempted to go, well, you know what? I happen to, Curtis, have no problem. I see lots of people who have problems around here. And I'm going to be a self-appointed whistleblower and call attention to all those problems. And people will just have to get restored. And I'm going to, you know, make it my mission to restore everybody. And then there is this, like, check on all that. So, again, it's responsibility for others. But it's accountability for ourselves. Because here in this passage, before verse 1 is even over, he says, keep watch on yourself. That's the last, that's the last sentence in here, isn't it? Keep watch on yourself. Because you, too, might be tempted. You might be tempted with the same thing that they're going through. Or you might be tempted with pride or self-righteousness, you might be tempted to go, you know, I'll tell you what, this would never happen to me. And that is what becomes so dangerous. And Paul doesn't just like point us to others and say, look out, try to help, try to restore. You play a role in that as God gives you an opportunity, he says. And at the same time, you need to look into the mirror. You don't need to go like, what a shame, but I'll tell you, I would never. There needs to be none of that, none of that in the body of Christ. Keep watch. Because who's to say tomorrow I couldn't take some left turn and just shipwreck my life? Who's to say tomorrow some, something I don't even anticipate 
just comes and hits me in the face and in moments of weakness, I believe lies, I go down paths that are harmful. Keep watch on yourself. Responsibility and accountability. There's more responsibility. So Paul says there's other responsibility we're to take. And, and another question that we could ask is, what would be my responsibility toward a person, a brother or sister that is overburdened, someone that is just burdened, think a heavy, heavy burden. What is my responsibility? Do I have one? If someone around me is overwhelmed, actually verse 2 says, I have a responsibility to share that load. This is the way verse 2 says, bear one another's burdens. I love the picture. I mean, it's such a good word picture of like, okay, I'm here to help. I'm here to share this load. And so fulfill the law of Christ. I want to come back to the law of Christ, but notice that bear one another's burdens. Some people rightly, I think, see connections with verse 1. So it's like verse 1 is you see someone who is like just getting ready to mess up their life. They've gotten overtaken and you go into that. You enter into the mess and it is a mess. It's a mess for me. It's a mess for you. It's a mess for all of us. You enter into that and that probably means if you enter in, you're carrying burdens. You're bearing burdens. So I definitely think there's a connection there, but I actually think it extends beyond just that. I think my goodness, we are all carrying burdens at different times. And sometimes those are extremely heavy. Sometimes those seem like we don't know what tomorrow's going to look like. We don't know what the future is going to look like. We don't know how to cope. We don't know how to like even take our next step. And when that happens, we are meant to lean in with that first fruit of the Spirit, which is love, which is always not about a feeling, but about an action, always about an action will lean in and say, I will give of myself to carry, help carry your burden. Bearing burdens. If you were to think through, if you were to think through, like, I wish we had time, like, if we were around tables and had pen and paper, like, I would, I would encourage you to do this exercise. I would, I would encourage you to go, what are two to, two to three things, maybe three or four things that have been most helpful to you when you've had something that has just burdened you so deeply you felt like it was almost paralyzing or it just was so weighing on your heart. You just really didn't feel like you had emotional energy for anything. When, when that happened, what was most helpful to you in sharing a burden? What did someone do? What did they do to help that? What did they do to help lighten that load? What did they help do to like make t tomorrow and the next day like even bearable to imagine? The two to, th two to three things, four things, maybe... Maybe think through that. In my mind, it's almost like I'm, I'm in a room and let's say that room gets very, very dark or I'm in a cave and it's very, very dark and it's like, okay, who's, who's the person that comes alongside me as a friend and has a flashlight and says, we're going to take step by step, we're going to get out of it. I'm going to help you. Who carries that burden? Who carries that? Who is that person? I, I heard a member of our church described as this way. I loved it. It's like someone in our church was talking about another friend and said, you know what? I know if I call him, he would drop everything and come. I know he would. I know he would. Like that is the kind of mindset that means I know they're going to carry my burden. Who is the person that listens without immediately responding and correcting or judging 
yeah, maybe that stuff comes. I mean, probably it needs to if it's a really good friend. It, it, it almost has to. But who listens as you blow off steam? So we, we all have, like, played games in our head and can't get out of our head. And who's that person that, like, the burden is being borne by someone just listening? been times where I've been like kind of driving around in a park just trying to finish a conversation with someone who is basically feels like I just barf on them for you know 30 minutes and yet at the end of it I feel like I don't feel like it's as heavy anymore and it feels like that load is somewhat lifted who's that person that comes along and maybe you're stressed out in this area and and that person cannot bear that burden here but there's these other four areas of your life and they come and help you there. Like, that's so helpful at times. It's like, maybe they can't do anything to change this circumstance, but they can do a lot to help all these other things. I mean, maybe it's financial relief or or maybe they go the extra mile. They go out of their way to be there. Maybe it's the person that checks in on occasion, the person that remembers the significant date, the person that follows up. And just when you see that text pop up or you see that call, I mean, it's like they care and somehow the world doesn't seem quite as heavy because I see their name attached to this concern of mine. This is what it means to bear the burden. So assuming you have some capacity, and frankly, there are some in our congregation that I'm positive you don't right now, but assuming you have some capacity who might be in proximity, those two to three, four things that you thought of that were really helpful to you, maybe God uses you this week to be that to someone else. And then the next week, and then the next week. Are there people that God is pointing you to? I love what Paul says. When you do this, when you bear each other's burdens, when I come alongside you, when you come alongside me, you are fulfilling the law of Christ, which is an interesting term because law is used regularly in Galatians, talking about the law of Moses. But here we have another law, a law that's not limited or time-stamped, the law of the Messiah, the law of Jesus Christ. Which those aren't throwaway words. None in the Bible are, but that one surely is not. So when I bear a burden, someone bears it for me, what's happening is brought to completion, brought to maturity, is the law of Christ, the law to love, the law to love our neighbor. So think about it. Jesus Christ, the law of Christ. Jesus, the one who came. And God had this plan to reconcile this world that is so messed up. And the high point of that plan would be his son, the Messiah, Jesus, who would come into this world and bear burden after burden. Read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He couldn't get through a day, it seemed like, without taking on someone's burden. And there is the high point of him bearing burdens, and that is he goes to the cross and suffers and dies alone with our burden on him. He loves us in that sort of way where he takes our burden, the deepest burden we have, and that is we are alienated from God, and he takes that on himself and bears it. He pays for our sin. He bears our burden. And then he rises from the dead, taking away our biggest burden, and he makes a command. Our Messiah makes a command. He has a law. He says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to love. I want you to bear each other's burdens, to which we can say, you bore ours. This isn't about payback at this time. You bore our burden, and you've given us a community of believers. Like, surely, surely this week there's someone that God will put you in close enough proximity to where the load is going to be a little bit lighter because you are there, because you are there, because you show up. 
what a command. And, and not only that, but we have the Holy Spirit empowering us to do it. We're not just left on our, our own, go do it. We have power to do that. Responsibility, accountability, responsibility, accountability. Here the accountability kind of takes a turn. What would be so counter to the heart of Jesus? Well, counter to the heart of Jesus would be me hearing all that and being all about myself, which is why I think a corrective measure of accountability comes in verse 3. For if anyone thinks he is something, so in, if you, you're told to bear others' burdens, but if you think you're, like, you think you're something, don't deceive yourself. Let each one test his own work. Then his reason to boast is actually going to be in himself, not in his neighbor, for each will have to bear his own load. There's some pieces that are tough to put together because one verse tells us bear one another's burdens and verse 5 tells us bear your own load. So how do we put those together? And I'm, I'm positive I don't know that I have it completely put together exactly, exactly the way and like no, no questions in my mind, but Here's the way I began putting it together this week. Bear one of those burdens and carry your own load. What does it mean to test your own work, to, to carry your own, to bear your own load? I remember once I had, I had a boss who had like incredibly high standards. And he saw the role that we were doing as extremely important. And he wanted it done well, and he led our team to do it well. And at the same time, he had these high standards. I also knew without a shadow of doubt, even to this day, I know he is for me, 100%. Like, he is for me. He wants me to succeed and not fail. He wants me, he wants me to deliver. So here's these high standards, and here is this huge support saying, I want you to succeed and I remember what that did in my heart. It created in me what I think is a good desire to like work hard, to please, to maximize everything that I could do, to do as well as I could. So at the end of the day, when it came to my year-end review, I knew I could sit across from him knowing that I could, I could be satisfied I've worked hard. Of course I have limits. Of course I wasn't perfect. Of course I slack sometimes. But overall, it's like I, I worked hard. I did what I could. And, and that support, that desire kind of brought that out in me. In some ways, sitting at an end-of-the-year review, it was like, you can test my work. I gave it. I gave what I had. There's a sense of self-satisfaction, hopefully not pride, but hope, hopefully some self-satisfaction of like, you know what, I, I'm not going to throw anybody else under the bus. This end-of-the-year review is not about them. It's about me. And here's what I tried to do with responsibility and the support you gave me. I think that's what he's talking about. When you test your own work, you are before the Lord living a life. You carry your own weight before the Lord. Don't try to point at others. So it's almost like putting it together. One writer said this, while correcting and supporting others, the individual believer has to look to himself, test himself, and bear his own responsibility. Responsibility and accountability. Can we keep going in this passage? Because it goes back and forth again. What, the next question is like, what is my responsibility in verse 6 to a teacher? What is my responsibility to a teacher? And verse 6 says it. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. What is my responsibility to the one who is teaching? And the responsibility is to support the work. In many other places in the New Testament, it's more developed than this. But it does seem even by this point in Galatians, which is, I think, one of the first books written in the New Testament, 
like there seems to be this office or this role of someone who's going to take their time and work toward bringing teaching to the body of Christ, the one who teaches. And Paul envisions a partnership in the teaching and in the being taught come together and the Holy Spirit produces generosity and goodness on the part of those being taught to share, to partner as a church family. Even as I read that verse, read it out loud, I recognize like there's so many landmines because so many people know of so many difficult, bad situations where pastors talking about money in church didn't go well. So can I just name that? And, and recognize some of the challenge of even talking about it. It could seem extremely self-serving just to read the verse or to read it really loudly or make sure we don't miss this, all the kind of gimmicks that unfortunately you might have seen. But I'm actually going to take it as a great opportunity to say thank you to an amazing church family that has regularly given me the privilege to study and to read and prepare and read and reread and get ready to do what I do on a regular basis, knowing that my needs and my family's needs are taken care of. That's not just for a couple months here. That's for years now of knowing that God is going to take care of me, but he's taking care of me through a partnership with our church family. And every time you give, it means a lot to me and other teachers and ministry workers here. So I can say thank you that that is being done and being done faithfully and regularly. I'm extremely grateful for that responsibility that, that this body answers. The passage turns again, responsibility and accountability. In verse 7, it's another wave of accountability. And this comes with actually a danger of deceiving ourselves. So do you see verse 7 of Galatians 6? It says, don't be deceived. So whenever I read that, it's like, well, the potential is we could be. So like, listen up. And if that didn't get my attention, the next phrase surely does. It's basically saying God is not playing games. He will not be mocked on this. So what is so critical that I shouldn't be deceived and realize that God will keep his word? Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. Got an agricultural principle here, sowing and reaping. The one who sows to his own flesh will reap to the flesh corruption, and the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Sowing and reaping sowing and then sowing to the flesh or to the spirit. It's like, what environment? Okay, we're putting something in the ground and what kind of ground are we putting something into? So it's like, what, what are we sowing? Are we sowing to the flesh? This orientation, this alignment, this investment of time, am I sowing to that to make Curtis just unrestrained, happy in this moment, regardless of circumstances? Or am I sowing to the spirit and if I took my life and put it up next to a person that actually is not sowing to the Spirit, is only living for themselves, is there a difference between what I want and what they want and what I think about and what they think about, what I will not live without and what they won't live without, what I must have, what they must have, what I daydream about, what I spend my money on, what, I, what, what really matters to me, who I love, what I love. Is there any difference between my life sowing, investing, knowing like I may not see the results now. Is there any difference between like, okay, you're in high school, you're in college, you're in your 20s, you're in your 30s. Is there anything that you are sowing that looks very, very different than your counterpart 
that has no frame of reference for God? Are, are there things? I mean, this is where that is pressing because what, what Paul's saying is don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself if you indulge yourself, if sexual sin is unrestrained, if you're always angry, always prideful, it will yield rotting, decaying results. Don't kid yourself. Don't kid yourself. When you walk in line with the Spirit, when you try to, in much prayer, and much dependence on the Lord, say, I want to depend on you, not on myself. Don't kid yourself. That yields results as well. Here's the danger. It takes a while to play out. So right now, you take a snapshot, here we are in mid-August, you take a picture and one person is in pain and suffering and another person is just skating by despite the fact that they don't seem to have any frame of reference to God. And we take that snapshot and go, wait a minute, this isn't working the way it's supposed to. Don't be deceived, there is a harvest coming. You take one snapshot and go, this person seems to get everything they want, and this person is seeming to do the right thing, and everything is hard for them, and they're trying to live for the Lord. You take the snapshot and go, it doesn't seem fair. And actually, in that moment, in that snapshot, yeah, it doesn't seem fair. Don't be deceived. These things will play out, and corruption may not show up for a while, but it's coming. And eternal life immediately doesn't seem that carefree. No Christian I know has a carefree life. But there is coming a day when all burdens will be shed in the presence of Jesus, and we won't carry one burden. It will be complete freedom and love and joy in the presence of the Lord. Responsibility and accountability. So it's like you've got to keep your eye on things that are in the future and accept those by faith. There's one more responsibility I see, and that's, let me frame it this way, this question, what is my responsibility with the opportunities I have to do good? Verse 9 and 10 go here. What is my responsibility when I have an opportunity to do good? So look at verse 9, and let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season at the right time we will reap if we don't give up. So don't grow weary, don't give up. Verse 10, so then... In light of that, as we have an opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. There are people that God's going to put in our path. So here we are on Sunday and on Monday and Tuesday. I think he's going to put people in our path, and you are going to have an opportunity to do good. And this passage is saying when you have an opportunity to do it, do it. He even singles out a special category. He actually puts a priority, especially to those who are the family of believers. So where do I start? Start with the family of believers. Start there. And then as you have opportunity, do good to everyone. No exclusions. Keep investing there. You can be convinced it's worth it. And yet I read those words, and they're challenging words. I read words like, yeah, don't grow weary. Don't get tired. And don't give up. I read those words, and I'm challenged because I've had conversation after conversation this week of people dealing with some really, really hard stuff. And I feel like, okay, I can be the pastor today who may misrepresent the voice of God in this moment. It's almost just like something cliche and trite. Hey, just don't give up. Hang in there. As if that helps when you feel like you're drowning. I could misrepresent, I think, the words of Jesus and the tone and the love in which they're given. Maybe worse, I could represent God as some taskmaster who doesn't appreciate the strain you're under and just says, 
Don't even think about giving up. Quit getting tired. Actually, the conversations I've had this week point me in a very, very different direction than a taskmaster or some trite saying that you might put on a sticker. When I realize the burdens that people are carrying and the heavy burdens, I think what I want to represent this passage, the one who gave these words to Paul, is not this harsh taskmaster. It's actually, these words are from the Lord, so that means they're from someone who knows you inside and out. So he knows the burdens and he knows the stress. It's someone who appreciates, who really, really appreciates the temptation you feel right now and I feel right now to grow very, very weary. The person who understands the bad news you got one day this week that made you even verbalize, like, I don't know that I can deal with any more of this. He knows you. He knows you better than you know yourself. He knows where you've been. He knows the darkness you feel right now. That just the like, hey, hey, don't give up, that's not going to help because the darkness seems to be kind of closing in and there's not a path out of this. He knows the real temptation to give up and lose heart. He knows the temptation to do that. Maybe you say, I'm not going to do that permanently. Like, I'm not going to do that. But, but I may end up taking a detour because I just can't handle it. I, I, th I think I just need to check out a while and I even check out over some responsibilities. I, I just can't. I can't keep going like this. He knows that. He knows the pressures of family life. He knows the burden of your kids, the burden of your parents, the burden of your brother, the burden of your sister. He knows the despair you feel of unfulfilled expectations. I sure thought it would go this way, and here we are, and it's not. He's not a stranger to the miscarriages that you have been wrestling through, the lifelong struggles that seem to be genetically a part of just who you are. He knows exactly what presses your buttons and takes stress from like a, a one or a two to a 10 or a 15. And that one who knows all of that so well is the one who said, I will not leave you. I won't, I won't leave you. I won't leave you. And he's also the one that has promised to strengthen you. So when you're totally out of gas, he's promised to give new mercies today, tomorrow, the next day. Not just for nonsense, but for the things you need it for. He's the one who is working out his plan, and in the end, you're actually, actually, and we have to believe this because our eyes will not tell us, our heart will have a hard time going here. But actually, when he's done with you, you will be in a better place, not a worse place. You will be. This is the promise he's made to work out his plan for your good. And he has promised never to quit on his relationship with you. He will never quit loving you. So with all that in mind, hear his words today saying, don't grow weary. Don't give up. Because he will not give up on you. In light of that, then, I mean, we can actually not just turn inward, but we can turn outward. We hear this very differently, like, no, do good as you have an opportunity. 
especially to the family of believers, yeah, especially them, the household of faith, do good. At the right time, you're going to reap. Don't lose heart. Don't shut everyone out, but lean into, lean into the Lord. I can say all that, and I felt very, very compelled to say all that, and now I feel very compelled to pray for you. Uh, I don't know all the situations, and I don't know the burdens that are being carried, but I want to pray that the Lord would give us strength and energy to move toward each other, that we might share burdens, and that we might not lose heart, we might not give up. Let me pray. Thank you, Lord, for a reminder this morning, not of just random things that you tell us are true, but thank you for the reminder that you are present. You as our Father, you're not mocked. As the Son, you've given us a law that we can, we can see brought to fulfillment as the Spirit, you are working in our waiting, in our hurting, in our frustration. So thank you, Lord, that none of us, none of us walk this road alone. So for my friends and even maybe complete strangers that feel like, uh, feel like that's a hard, for, hard sell for them, I thank you that I don't have to sell it. You come into their lives. You open their eyes to the truth that you are present. And it has always been about you, not about, not about us. So I pray our lives would be lived for your purposes. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.